This morning is June the 26th, and the message of today's title is, or the title of today's message is The Way. The Way. The Way. The Way. Everybody could turn to John 14. Does anybody need a Bible? You guys need a Bible? Do I know it by heart? (laughs) I'll I'll let you as a man of the household do this. It was so, it was hilarious. Me and my mom were watching uh, America's Funniest Home Videos. And uh, they had this one short clip. It was a rather small church, but it kind of had like the uh, angled pews. And the guy was preaching, and you couldn't hear what he was saying, but you could just tell. He was talking about beating somebody with the word. So he picked up his Bible. I won't do it. But he picked up his Bible and he's trying to demonstrate it. And that thing came out of his hand. And like, like where, my, where my, my mom is sitting, it smacked that lady in the head. Bow! Pages. <laughs> That's called like casting lots. You know, if, if there's sin in your life, I'm going to throw this Bible and hit you. That's it. You needed it. It was hilarious. No, everybody started laughing. She was like, ah, but she was probably thinking, I'm never filming this church again. <laughs> now, we've been, we've been studying a lot about the gifts of the Spirit, right? About apostles. And one of the things that we ran into when we studied about the apostles was that it was mentioned that these, this new, now remember, we're still dealing within the Jewish community and Jewish synagogues that these new followers of Jesus were known to, together as the way, right? As we begin to, to dig more and more into the, the Jewish uh, foundation of our faith, and I look into commentaries from, I mean, Wycliffe, Barnes, uh, James Fawcett Brown, a lot of these older type commentaries that really were developed before or at the time when Israel was just being uh, formed back into a nation in the 1940s, I realized how void our, our, our foundation of normal Protestant or even Catholic backgrounds lack. You know, I'm looking at just some, unless it's blatantly obvious, such as, behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world, unless we understand some of the Jewish culture yeah, sometimes it's hard to get exactly what Jesus was telling the people. And it's, it's easy, it, it applies, but some of the small things that Jesus says, it really does mean, uh, you know, that simple uh, terminology. So either like, be holy as I am holy, we're about to read here in John 14 about him being the way, the truth, and the life. Well, in, in a grand scheme, yeah, he is what we consider in our Greek mind the way, the truth, and the life. But the key, it's a very simple key, the key to sometimes understanding what Jesus is getting at and even understanding the Old Testament is understanding the function. I myself, everybody in this room, is so trained to look at the logical order of things, determine an outline, and basically it's the formula, A plus B equals C. When we look at the Old Testament word, it's, uh, if you use that formula, it's hard to read. Why? You might say why. 
Why is it, why is it hard to read when you use that logical information? Trying to read a Jewish people with a Greek mindset, and to a Greek, that's, it would be boring. Wait, I don't understand how does the Old Testament make sense. I always hear, you know, when somebody does get first born again, the majority of people we run to are Greek or non-Jewish. What, what's the first book we usually tell them to read? Read John. It's something that it's, it's about the, the works of Jesus, one of the most different ones. It's not a synoptic gospel. But it puts the, really a lot of the Old Testament to life and to real day application. And, that, and that's typically what we have to do to get a good foundation within that new believer to build upon later and later. Now, with that same mindset, when we see somebody new come into Jesus, we have to lay in them that foundation of putting it to work with that mindset. Imagine somebody Jewish just getting born again. They have in them, in their culture, a lot of these, these principles and foundations that God instilled in their culture. Jesus did it. Or the God the Father did. And now we're, we have to, or you would have to in the early church, build upon or give them a way to apply all the traditions, all the, the shadows and types into their, real, their daily life. Without, here's the trick, without equaling or taking their traditions and making it equal to a means to righteousness. That, that's got to be the hardest thing for Every day of your life, you don't eat this, you don't do that. And not, it's not just you, it's your entire, let's just say the entire state of Texas. Israel was much smaller than that. I'm thinking of just people as a whole. I mean, people are intimidated growing up. They're intimidated and influenced by their peers because of what they wear, what they do, what they listen to, how they, how they talk. Imagine what it's like you growing up and all your peers are doing what this law says to do are trying to do. It's your culture. So now coming into Jesus, all of a sudden, you're, you're having to apply that that act does not equal righteousness. It's very, very similar to some of the predominant religions within the Christian sect that require you to do certain things or certain actions that lead to righteousness. Isn't it pretty common within this area uh, or within certain religions that Jesus is basically sitting next to the Father or sometimes even next to his mother. But basically who God is is a guy with a big old stick ready to just strike at any moment. And that to receive his grace, I have to live somewhat of a good life and I'm, I might make it, I might not. That that obscurity or that that not being able to understand what God requires of men pushes a lot of people away. First of all, they see hypocrites, and then next, they, they have no idea what it takes to please God. What is a means of righteousness? So what happens? They develop one on their own. For years, growing up, I was 16 when I was born again, but even before that time, I just thought, as long as I'm good, and I can stretch my life out to the very end, I'll go to church a lot, and... That'll do it. I'll be. I'll just be a good person. Yeah, I do. I do bad things occasionally, but you know, for the most part, I'll, I'll do it. When I began to realize the requirement that God has for you to get to obtain righteousness, because that's essentially what I was doing. I was taking my own mindset of what righteousness was and making my own rules up for it. We've got to understand 
There's a prescribed way. There is the way to enter into the kingdom and to please God. So let's read in John 14. Now, I'm, I'm starting at verse 1 because uh, there's a little bit of background in it, but uh, hold on with me. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. So, from that statement alone, we know Jesus is departing I mean, from the disciples from earth and going to a different place. So, the disciples in hearing this know that he, he's traversing. He's, he will be moving. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Let me just stop right there. Being that I have PC Study Bible on my laptop, I was able to look up just that one phrase, the way. I think in the Old Testament alone, uh, I want to say around the 160s, or maybe 180s, that's how many times that one phrase appeared. Altogether, the whole Bible, 220. Within our common culture, if I were to say something to the effect of, uh, you know, tis the season, automatically what comes to your mind? Christmas. It's something that we participate in. We've heard year after year after year. There are a lot of things in the New Testament and a lot of the shadows and types that Jesus re- refers to in their own culture that they heard year after year after year. And all he had to do is just mention a piece of it. And they knew exactly what he meant. Let's read on. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are, where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do not know him and you do know him and have seen him. Now, a lot of times when Eric preaches and on Wednesday nights he has his laptop up, there's two basic images I want you guys to really ingrain in your head. One is of the temple. Now, my, my first image or thoughts of the temple were kind of like an Indiana Jones type of deal. It's a big structure, big opening in the front, those kind of things. The one, the, the one that the, they mocked up in the little mini city Remember seeing that picture? Uh, there's a certain sect of Jews that have designed uh, a total replica of the city of Jerusalem. And in that, they have a, a replicated uh, temple. Well, the entrance into, I think, the temple area, there were two doors. The one going up on the, the right-hand side was probably a little wider than your shoulders. The one on the left side, exiting the temple, was probably 10 feet wide. So, in saying that, let's go to, I think it's Matthew 17.
That's a transformation. Oops. <laughs> Somebody help me out. Do you see where the uh, Jesus is talking about? He is the gate. No, I lost it. Okay. Oh, I had it written down right. Maybe not. Okay. <laughs> Matthew 7. I was close. I had it. <laughs> okay. So Jesus is on the mountainside giving the Beatitudes, teaching the people. And once again, that tis the season scenario comes up. So verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Let me bring this back into Jewish culture. The law's intent was to bring what? It was to bring righteousness. It was to bring life. It was a way of living. Now, it had to be, and it was basically in place at all times. And what I mean by that, God's true law what I mean by true law is that his intent of how mankind was to behave has always been around. But for the nation of Israel, it was, it was put together to, to, and given to Moses mainly because the people's hearts were hard and they couldn't please God on their own without a written set of rules. When I have to, when I have to tell my little girls, or really, yeah, both of them, tell my little girls, Okay, this is exactly what I want you to do. It's because they're, they're so likely to deviate if I don't. I can't expect them to do exactly what I want them to do unless for a period of time they were trained by a definite line. You know, for instance, I, I tell my little girls, I tell Natalie, don't play with the scissors in this drawer. But for some reason, she loves scissors. And she always wants to go in that drawer. And I haven't even oiled them since we moved in the house. They make this horrible screeching sound. almost kind of cringe every time I open the drawer. But the reason I didn't oil them is because I know when she's getting inside of them. And I can listen when she's not obeying me. And she'll open that drawer. Natalie, what are you getting? Uh, the scissors. No, baby, you don't get the scissors. I, I don't, I mean, she's not really able to comprehend what the scissors can do to her. She hasn't experienced that. I hope she doesn't. But I have to set that, that line because her nature, really her, sometimes her curiosity, not necessarily sinful nature, but more curiosity, wants to deviate from this way that I've set, I've set in place. Whenever you see Abel and Cain make a sacrifice, Adam and Eve, Abraham, all these people who, who basically performed parts of the law before the, the Jewish law was ever put in place, always wondered why. 
Why did they do this? How did they know to do this? It was because in their hearts, they were following God's true intent of what it was to please Him. And they performed it. Now, coming back to this verse right here, that picture I was telling you about, about those two doors, one narrow and one wide, when Jesus said this, the people knew exactly what He was talking about. That this, this narrow way to go in, few would find it and it would lead to life. Now, it wasn't necessarily He was advocating go into the temple, perform the law, and that will be righteousness. But what he was trying to say was that he was that gate. And that wide was the way that led to destruction. Something that's wide, roads that are wide, they're easy to drive on, they're easy to, to do. Something that's narrow, what do you typically have to do? You have to shed everything that's around you. And come in with just you and yourself. And that's it, and go into this way that leads to life. Um, let's go to Genesis 18. We had to go to Genesis. It's, it's part of our, our mantra here. 18. Verse 17. Page 17, too. Actually, start in verse 16. When the men got up to leave, they looked down toward, toward Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. Now, me and my Greek mind, do you kind of see a formula here? I always wondered, Abraham's such a great guy, commended for what? His faith. Called the father of our faith in Romans. So, bottom line, what made God choose this guy among any other? He believed God. Now, because he believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness, and God gave him a promise. But let's read this again. For I have chosen him so that, so that he will direct his children and his household. It wasn't so that he could build a large building, so that he could build a great name for himself or acquire much wealth. It was so that he could take care of his offspring who would carry on the very thing that he was doing, which was pleasing God by faith, that being the very core. So that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. The way this whole message began in me was probably around 11, 30, 12 o'clock last night. And I was just, I was thinking about Eric and Jen, you know, having their babies. And goodness, uh, it always seems like we're the ones you know, taking on the, the new addition of, of baby. It's pretty cool thinking about somebody else. <laughs> and the, the difference being is that you know, when you get a new baby, you're concerned with you know, how we make room for them, how we're going to accommodate just juggling all their activities. You kind of get wrapped up in the day-to-day uh, deeds. 
When you think about somebody else, it's a little easier to stand back and just kind of think of their overall picture of what's happening to their family. And I realize I am given a responsibility. I mean, I realize this when we, we dedicate our kids, but it's like the, the deep revelation about it came. I'm given a, a great responsibility to teach my children the way that I've based my entire life on. When I got born again, I said, it's all or nothing. I'm following Jesus wholeheartedly. And in the back of my mind, I keep thinking, well, yeah, I want my kids to do the same thing. But from what this is telling me, the, the father of our faith was given this task of to receive these promises, but in a means of, of getting those promises, he was to direct his household and teach his children. Eric taught an awesome message, one generation away from apostasy. And it's so true. If I don't live it, if I don't breathe it, if I don't eat just everything that Jesus is and show my children the way that I live and the, and the way that God has required me to live, they'll grow up with a distorted view of who God is, who Jesus is, who, who, what church is. Two, two ends of the spectrum. First, the one that's non-church. You grow up with that mindset. You, really, you think, you know, who is God? And just like I about earlier, you make up your own sets of standards for means of righteousness. No one ever has ever instructed you what the way is. The totally adverse is whenever the foundations are laid correct. Whenever the children see exactly what their parents did that pleased God and they saw that God was with them, they got the revelation, the same revelation that you get. Well, in, in striving for that, obviously our goal is always to achieve what's awesome and, and righteous. If I spend my entire life sowing into ministry outside my home and not within my home, I'll nullify everything I did. And what I mean, I mean, I'm sure I have some credit before God, but if Paul writes, a man who doesn't take care of his own household is worse off than an unbeliever, that doesn't, doesn't go for clothes, food, and house. That goes for your own internal household. So that... That's what I mean. It, it's impressing to me that I, this is a, a much greater responsibility with a much greater consequence than, than anything else that I could ever be given, more than my job, more than, you know, preaching to masses or leading worship for a thousand people. That this core of my family is my responsibility to raise up and will lead to receiving the promises that Jesus has made for me. Because that's the way he did it for Abraham. That's the way it's going to occur with us. Now, uh, let's turn to Mark, chapter 1. Is it making any sense? Mark 1. First one, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah, the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, 
prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for Him. Now, when we read that, we understand this was, this was John's calling, John the Baptist. This is what he did. He went out and laid this foundation for the Messiah to ride into town with, to preach the good news of Jesus. Now, it was commonly performed, uh, I think back around in Isaiah's time, but if a king were to go to another city that he hadn't traveled before, he had this entourage of laborers that would go ahead of him, clear the path, and lay a road for him to travel down. So when we say John prepared the way, John went ahead as a laborer and laid down this foundation for the Messiah to ride in on. See, uh, saying it in that manner, I understand that this way, the, the Hebrew term and the Greek term are synonymous with road. A, this sure footing for something to travel down. Um, Whenever, whenever growing up, you have uh, misconceptions about who Jesus is, and the way is not prepared correctly, it's almost equal to not having a road that's properly built. Can you do 50 miles an hour on a country road with potholes? Can you advance the way you need to do? No. Same way as in the kingdom. Don't expect that you're all of a sudden going to, you know, at the end of your, your term of life or whatever it is, going to rush and get to the point of pleasing Jesus when the whole time you have not prepared the way or let Jesus prepare the way in you to get to him. And you have some of these major potholes along the way that have not been corrected. You know, that, 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 this whole teaching also is synonymous with, you know, building on sand versus building on rock. It's about having the sure footing, the sure foundation of who Jesus is. And even as a Christian, even after we're born again, I'm constantly moving towards the next phase, the next step. I was born again for about seven years before even really dating, seriously dating, and then getting married. Being a Christian was fairly easy, eventually, because it was just me and my sinful nature that I had to deal with. And I was constantly fellowshipping with those who loved Jesus, studying the Word and worshiping. So it was easy for me to lay that road. When it got to the point where I was responsible and one with somebody else's walk and sinful nature, it wasn't as easy to control as it was for just mine. So I discovered a new facet of what it's like to be in Jesus. And then I had kids. Same thing. That as I gained this responsibility... Of, of managing my household, it, it upped the ante as far as what it's like to be a Christian. It, it does get easier because you become more experienced at handling things that don't go right. All right, let's turn to uh, Ezekiel 36. I'm sure the air conditioning is cold. I'm going to get a little hot. It's just because I'm moving around and you guys are sitting down. Ezekiel 36. 
if I have my true Indian name, they might call me one who sweats a lot. Sweating bear. <laughs> Ezekiel 36, verse uh, 24, page 962. And a Thompson chain. Now, he's speaking to who in this passage? What nation is he talking to? Speaking to Israel. Some of the things we can take when he's talking to Israel and apply just to our Christian walk because we are now a part of Israel. Never forget it. Verse 24. I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. Now, that alone, that principle, that whole intent, it can apply to us. We came out of the world, out of these distant nations, out of Egypt, and Jesus has sprinkled his blood and his water on us, has cleansed us. But, once again, we're talking to the nation of Israel. Verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you. Now that part we like. That part we experience. And move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God's whole intent when he first created man, and you see it right there in the garden, was that by by man's nature, he would seek and perform and execute what it took to please God. But however, when given the choice, man tripped up, obviously, and fell into the sinful state. So thereafter... We know he poured out his spirit on kings, priests, and prophets. You see in David how David was led by the spirit sometimes, or a lot of times, to do things that pleased God that, for the most part, coincided with the law, but also sometimes was outside the law or in contradiction. Whenever I was first born again, I was very, very legalistic. Very. Eric and Jim were watching the thing, Raising Arizona. And I came in and I said, you know, I can't watch this. This doesn't please Jesus. And I went off in the back room and started reading my word. Yeah, like that was what Jesus was really after, his uh, condemnation prophet uh, for mankind. Uh, Later on, uh, an awesome older man of God just kind of looked at me and gave me a quick, sharp rebuke. And it woke me up and made me realize that through my own acts, <clears throat> my own sets of righteousness and laws, that's not what it was. That's not what Jesus was really looking for. So if we say, you know, well, I do or I don't smoke, or I do or I don't don't do this. The heart of this whole message is understanding what God's intent really was from the very beginning for mankind, and that was to please Him as you're being led by the Spirit out of your own heart and nature because your 
you're wanting to walk in His way. Anytime, anytime that I miss Jesus, it's because I've deviated from His, the way, and gone on my own. Uh, I think it's Proverbs, you know, many of the, of the plans of a man's heart, but the Lord, what? Directs His footsteps. And your word is a light unto my path. Well, that word path, and that, even though sometimes that, that word footsteps, it can mean the way, the road, the path I'm supposed to go there. So I just wanted to encourage you guys, as I saw this responsibility about my children and preparing in them the right kind of way, it, it first involves us having the right way prepared in us. And continually seek after Jesus. Ask Him to uh, build in you what that way is. Diligently seek in the Word. But not only to seek and know knowledge in the Word, as we all Greeks do, but how to live it. We'll say it again and again what this sign says perform out there. And it's going to be hard. I'm dead serious. It's going to be hard. When somebody sometimes in the body doesn't like you and they say bad things about you, you are still required by God's intention of the law to love them and to serve them. To say good things back to them. A kind word, what? Turns away wrath. The, the, uh, was it the words of a wise man are like choice morsels. We just had chocolate cake last night and that's a choice morsel. It's good to eat. It's awesome. It's great. Sometimes that's the whole reason why we live sometimes. But I just want to encourage you guys continually to seek Jesus and uh, build up your way. Amen? Amen. All right. Everybody stand to your feet.